happened there. And uh, baptism and a picnic, just in case you don't know it, this is the closest you're ever going to get to living out the little house on the prairie thing in your life. So if that this is it. Today is little house on the prairie day, so get excited. Uh, and like Kip said, we're talking about baptism this morning. So uh, we're excited to have the Clarks here. We'll try and keep the, the sermon short and have a great time of worship. And let's go ahead and commit this morning to the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you that we can meet together. Uh, we thank you for church. And I just pray that with what we do, what we say, uh, that we would be able to glorify you and that we could get excited about the lives that are changing, the people that are finding joy in you. Uh, and may we just realize that you are good. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, so baptism um, is kind of a weird thing. So I think we have to just start by saying that. Okay, baptism's really funky, it's weird, nobody gets it, and so what's, what usually happens with weird things is they get made fun of. So just think back to like middle school or high school, anything weird, any one weird was always what you pick on, because we don't know what to do with weird things, okay? Uh, and so Hollywood does the same thing with baptism. So there's uh, one of my favorite weird baptism scenes is in the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, where... George Clooney is it's like set in the 20s or 30s, and he and two other convicts are in the woods, and they're like talking. And all of a sudden, a couple hundred people are walking towards the river, singing a hymn, all of them decked out in white gowns, and they're like zombies. Everybody's just you know walking one right after the other, no emotion, no anything. And they go down. It's the weirdest baptism scene you'll ever see if you go see that movie, uh, Oh, brother, where art thou? There's also um, funny baptism scenes. And so this, this is the funniest baptism scene that I've ever seen here. So. I'm a little concerned right now about your salvation and stuff. How come you have not been baptized? Because I never got around to it, okay? I don't know why you always have to be judging me. Because I only believe in science. But tonight, we are going up against Satan's caveman. And I just thought it would be a good idea if you... Well, that's the that's the that's always going to be the funniest one. Um, the uh, but I think the idea this morning, the first thing is we just want to unpack this whole idea of baptism and just what does it mean, what's it about, and I'm kind of getting into the whole John Madden sermon kind of thing here, so I figured we'd do some more drawing. Uh, so real quickly. The way, I, the way it makes the most sense to me is just going back to the Old Testament and looking at some categories. And, and I think we've talked about this once before, but in the Old Testament, you have a category for unclean. And unclean is just it's like dirty. So dirty silverware, dirty dishes, it's just unclean. Uh, people can be unclean as well, but it's just something that's, that's dirty. And then you've got this category of, of clean, 
which is just kind of self-explanatory. So if unclean is 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 uh, dirty dishes, clean would be clean dishes. Does that make sense? And then you have this category here, though, of <laughs> somebody, somebody doesn't do the dishes. Uh, you have a category here of holy. Okay, you have you have a category of holy, and holy is something that's already clean. But now it's being set apart. The word holy literally means to be set apart. It's being dedicated or set apart unto God's purposes. So if, we, if we're using like dishes, this would be a dirty dish. This would be a clean dish. Holy would be a clean dish that's, that's being um, set apart to be used in the temple of God. Does that make sense? It's holy. It's a sacred object. It belongs in the house of the Lord. It's more than just clean. It's, it's God's kind of a deal. Okay? Now, here's the interesting thing. In the Old Testament, for something to go from clean to holy, since this is already clean, it's, it's not like it's going to be scrubbed and the dirt's going to be taken off of it. It's going to be, uh, go through some kind of a ritual washing or symbolic act to designate that this clean dish is now being handed over to the temple or it's being given over unto God's purposes. Does that make sense? And so it's being washed, it's being cleansed in a symbolic ceremonial way and now it's set apart unto unto God. And to me, this is the best picture of what's going on in baptism. In our society today, you don't have to you just walk, you can, we can talk to each other. Everyone's going to say they're a good person. And that's the, the biggest problem I have in life is, you know, I think I'm a good person. You guys are good people, but we always leave off the part where we're also bad people. And so you just got to mix those things together. And the real answer is it's, we're messy. Life is messy. We're messy and we're complicated. But we always want to stop it clean and think, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. You know, we talk about it all the time. You ask anybody on the street and they're going to say, you know what? I'm a good person. I do good things, I'm clean, I'm not, I'm not unclean, I'm, I'm good, I'm not bad. And, and we stop there and think that's good enough. But there's a difference between being on the inside and the outside. And I'll tell you a story to illustrate it, because uh, I've been waiting to tell a story for years. Uh, I went to Europe to, uh, when my wife was pregnant with our third daughter. Uh, I went to Europe, she, I had this big, huge pilgrimage trip worked out. And she said, you better do it before we have three kids, because then you're not going to get away for years. Uh, and so I, I took my friend John Lemke, and we went uh, to Europe, and we bounced around, started in London, and about the third day, we're in Bruges in Belgium, and this is important later in the story, but uh, John Lemke buys a box of Cuban cigars, because you can buy them over there, you can't buy them here, I guess, but buys a box of Cuban cigars, going to take those back to his brother and his dad, we put them into backpacks, and we continue on to Germany, and we, we check out a bunch of uh, Reformation history stuff. And then down through Switzerland to Cinque Terre on the Italian Riviera. And then over to Florence, which was really cool. Don't ever stay in a hostel owned by a guy by the name of Lorenzo. It's shady. Um, and that's an understatement. Uh, and then from Florence, we went down to this little town uh, called Narni, which is about two hours outside of Rome. And Narni was cool. We had to stop there because it's uh, over 2,000 years old, the city. And in medieval times, it was called Narnia. And so that's how C.S. Lewis got the Chronicles of Narnia, the name Narnia. He turned to an old medieval map that he had and saw that name and kind of lifted it. But in, you know, today it's called Narnia. So we had to stop there, and I had to tell you about it because I'm under obligation to talk about C.S. Lewis whenever I can. Um, 
But we went from Narni down to Rome, and our last day in Rome, we go and we, we tour St. Peter's, and we tour the Vatican, and it was right when they were uh, deliberating. We couldn't even get into the Sistine Chapel. The College of Cardinals was deliberating about who was going to be the next pope. And so if you don't know how that works, they, they're in the Sistine Chapel, they deliberate, they vote, and then those votes get thrown into this little stove thing uh, and burned, and they, they have chemical they mix with it. But if, they, if it's kind of a hung jury, they haven't decided yet, uh, the smoke will come out this little chimney, and it'll come out black. It means there's no, no pope yet. Uh, if it comes out white, that means that they've picked the pope. And it's this little chimney, but there was more media there than, than I've ever seen in my life. And all these cameras are trained on, on that little chimney. And they have those huge Megatron screens like you see at stadiums. They had those set up everywhere. I mean, it was the biggest, craziest thing I've, I've ever witnessed in my life. Well, we went, uh, did the tours, and they blow smoke at like 11, and it was black. And, uh, and, they also, and then they, they break for lunch, I guess the Cardinals do. And, and then they come back and deliberate some more, and, and then they burn those ballots at like six, okay? And so, you know, it was black smoke, and we're like, oh, let's go down to the Coliseum. And I told John, hey, we got to get back, though, because, you know, um, we just need to. And so we go to the Coliseum, and it's like 5.45, and we're, we're caught in rush hour traffic, and I start panicking because I just had this sense we had to get back. So we paid like a gazillion euro for a taxi to take us across Rome, and we get back, and they blow the white smoke. It's like one of the quickest... Um, Pope deliberations or whatever they've ever had is caught everybody off guard. But the white smoke comes and the place just goes crazy. And people are running down this main street from like Rome towards Vatican Square there, St. Peter's Square. And it's, you know, you hear radio stuff all over. I don't know Italian, but it was like, you know, Papa, El Nuevo Papa or Fumaras Bianca. or I mean, it was just weird. <laughs> like smoke is white. There's a new Papa. Um, but it's going crazy. They're closing down everything. The Swiss guards going crazy, which are the guys that still wear the Michelangelo outfits, you know, and, um, they're shutting it down. The band starts playing. Everybody's filling up this square. It's like 6:30. It's gorgeous. There's like these clouds and the sun's setting and it's like, it's just this beautiful setting looking out over the dome and, and we're going crazy. Um, we busted out some Cuban cigars because what else are you supposed to do? And so we're smoking Cuban cigars and we're calling people. And it's like 11 o'clock back here in the States. And my girls are like trying to find me on TV, you know, and daddy's in there. And, and it was this crazy fun thing. And, and then they eventually get in that little balcony. If you've ever seen that, that balcony is so much bigger than what it looks like. When there's a person standing there, it's like they're minuscule compared to the size of that balcony. Um, but they get out there and they, and they start talking in Italian and Latin and all this and I don't know what's going on and, and they're basically introducing the new Pope and then he comes out um, and I'm all excited. You know, we're just history in the making. So John and I are going crazy, uh, puffing away on cigars, um, expensive cigars and uh, all of a sudden everybody starts just bouncing up and down like like bending over and crawling, just all, everybody started doing stuff that we didn't know what to do. And, and we were kind of like sitting there looking around like we're a little out of place here. What's going on? And, and what it was was they started doing kind of a mass. And we're not Catholic and we didn't speak the language. And so we were a part of this great, exciting throng of people watching history in the making and then all of a sudden, we're, we didn't know what the heck was going on. And it reminded me, like, it was the first moment, like, that whole hour there, 
that I realized that I'm not Catholic, you know. I mean, I was so caught up in all this. It's like, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden I realized, wow, I'm, this is cool and all, but I'm not Catholic. I don't know what's going on. And I think I tell you that just because um, it's an excuse to. But I think we do that in life. We, we get all excited about God and Christianity and what's going on and, and how great a person I am. And we're, we're bouncing around saying life is wonderful, but we've never really become a part of what it means to be a Christian. We've never really like kind of jumped into that circle of having given our, ourselves completely over to God, that my life is not my own, my life is God's. And we get lulled into thinking we're a part of it because of all the energy, but we're not a part of it. We're kind of just one step out. And so here's how this would look. Like when I was in engineering we used to do CAD drawings, computer-assisted drawings or whatever. Um, and there's a top view. And so if this is the top view of different spheres, right, this would be the side view. And what it, I think, would show us is that in terms of magnitude, you know, and this could go off, off the chart, that in terms of magnitude, crossing from this sphere to this sphere is, is huge. It's not a small thing. I'm, I'm, I'm next to all these people in St. Peter's Square there. It's not proximity that way. It's the magnitude in terms of difference, um, qualitative difference to who I am, to what's going on in my soul is huge. It's off the chart. And so I think we miss that sometimes. And I think that's why baptism is so cool. Okay? And I think it's cool for, for this reason is it really does galvanize commitment to what it means to follow Christ. Because in this realm here, we are still our own. Okay, I'm either my own bad person, I do bad things, and or I'm my own good person. I do good things, but it, it's about me. Life revolves around me. The world revolves around me. My goodness even revolves around me. That's, that's it. And it's all about me, and, and I'm my own. And over here, remember the whole thing set apart unto God, when we're over here, we're gods. So we no longer belong to ourselves. It's not just a matter of am I good or not. It's like whose am I? I'm, I'm not. My life revolves around God, not around me. And so in the Old Testament, like we were talking about, things are, are always cleansed ceremonially so that there's a distinct point in saying this thing, this object is Wow. Hi. Um, I thought there was like five of you until then. Uh, that this, this clean object is set apart unto God and it's holy. And so even in the book of Hebrews, the writer to the, to the, the Hebrews talks about how when Moses sprinkled the Israelites and cleansed them ceremonially, that he, he was setting those people apart unto God, that that kind of a thing is what's going on, that people are set apart unto God. And so what's fun in the Greek language is actually the, the, uh, the noun, the proper noun, the, the same word of, as holy when it's used as a proper noun is saints. Okay, So if we're talking about a holy person, it's a saint. It's a person that has been set apart unto God. And so we, too, when we're setting ourselves unto to, to God and saying, my life is no longer my own, I'm now following Jesus Christ, I'm submitting to that. Uh, we talked about Paul's language of, of baptism being, 
being buried with Christ and being resurrected so that you're now in him, okay? That that's kind of what baptism does. The word, um, the, the Greek word there for baptism is, it, or baptize or all that, it's like dip or dunk, but the idea is washing. We, you know, ba- we, we Baptists or other Baptists or who Baptists make too big of a deal of the dip and the dunk part. The whole idea is the washing. It's like a washboard. It's being dipped and dunked as it's being cleansed. And so the main idea here is just this idea of washing and cleansing and being set apart unto God. And so to me, that's what I look at baptism at. It's a symbolic deal that says my whole universe has been shifted, that the magnitude is great of this decision that I've made to follow Jesus Christ. And so the idea comes in, in the Old Testament, there was a, a concept where if you were an, a servant to somebody, every so many years they would have to set you free. But if you were working for somebody and you were their indentured servant, you're, you know, a living servant or even a slave, and you were like, you know what, this is where I want to be. This guy takes good care of me. I can't do better on my own. I'm happy here. This is where I want to be. You could choose to stay there and say, you know what? I'm just going to commit to be this servant. And what the in the Bible, what it says is that person would have, have a, an awl driven through their ears, so like their ear pierced. And so it's like this person is, is now connected to that person as a servant. Okay? And so Paul uses that language, I think, in the New Testament when he calls himself a servant of God. And so if we, if, just if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12. We'll see how he puts it another way. But Romans chapter 12, and it's a pretty famous passage, but look at the, the implied meaning as we go through this. Romans chapter 12, starting verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, set apart, given unto God, and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so a sacrifice in the Old Testament was you bring something, whether it's grain or whether it's uh, an animal or whatever it is, and you give it over. This is now a a very special thing in my life, and I'm giving it over, and it's going to be burned on this altar, and it's, it's given over to God. And what Paul is saying is, take yourself... And you throw yourself up on that altar, but instead of being a burnt sacrifice, something that's burned up in the fire, you walk off the other side of that altar and you belong to God. You've got your ear pierced. You know, I hope there's no junior hires in the room. Um, you got your ear pierced, you belong to God, you're a servant of God, you are now committed to God, and that is your spiritual act of worship. That's how you please God. That's how, how you live for God. And so Paul loves to refer to himself as a servant of God, doulos, and he would even talk about fellow servants, son doulos, and it's we together are fellow servants of God. We're people whose life does not revolve around ourselves we together revolve around God. We're His, and the magnitude is great, and baptism signifies that. And the reason I love baptism is because it's so weird. Okay? It is weird culturally to, to the I mean, people are going to look at it, and they're just like, this, these are weird, freaky religious people. 
Like it just doesn't make sense culturally. It doesn't even make sense half the time to the church. Uh, guy got a hold of my life when I was 22. At age 23, I just turned 23. It was Christmas break. And I wanted to get baptized. I had to get baptized. I felt compelled to get baptized. And so I was back home in Virginia on Christmas break and talked to my parents' church. And I was like, I got to get baptized. You know, God's doing these crazy things in my life. And I'm, I feel like I'm going to be going into ministry. I got to get baptized. And they were like, okay, well, we'll see what we can do. And they, they passed it from like one pastor down to the next pastor, down to the next pastor, down to the next pastor. And finally, like the guy at the bottom of the food chain, like the junior high pastor. And then, so we talked to him for like a week. And then finally they come back to me, you know, and it's been two weeks now. And they're like, you know what? We just, we can't. It's, it's just not going to work out. It's not going to fit. And I'm like, you mean you can't just take me to a swimming pool, you know, on lunch break? You get some people that you can't do anything for me? No, it's Christmas season. Programs in church, you know, it's just not going to work out. And I know what that's like. It's a great church, you know. We all kind of, you know, we're all in the same boat. But it's a great church. They got a lot of great programs. But I remember just being blown away and thinking, man, how hard is it to get baptized? You know, if the church won't even baptize you, where do you go, you know? And so it ended up being like in a hot tub um, a couple weeks later with some old camp buddies from that summer. And uh, But that's the whole deal is in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says to his, his little co-leaders there, the, the, the disciples, he says, you go and you make followers of me. You go make disciples and teach them everything I told you. Don't just have them be like Christians name only. Teach them what I told you, uh, what I've told you, and what I've taught you. And then here's the deal. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now, why in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Because it's the same reason why we're supposed to pray in Jesus' name. It says in the Bible, Jesus says, if you ask for things in my name, because it's representative, okay, you're doing it in virtue of me. You're connected to me. You're mine. You belong here. And, I, and if you're mine, I'm a good shepherd. I'm going to take care of you. And so when you go to God, don't go to God as I'm my own and I'm doing it in my own virtue here. You go as someone that's saying, in virtue of Christ in my relationship with him, I need help, God. Okay? And it's the same thing with baptism. We're not being baptized back to ourselves. We're being literally symbolically set apart unto God. And so we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because it's all about whose we are, not who we are. Okay, So that's what Jesus says. So baptism, which is really weird culturally, which half the time we Christians don't even get, is, is at the heart of what it means to be set apart unto God, to give your life over and be a Christian. It's at the heart of it. And so I love it for those two reasons because... It's what we're supposed to do. Nothing better symbolizes a commitment to being a Christian and living your life fully for God than baptism. I think, you know, I put child dedication right in there. I love those two things, okay? I don't think there's any other symbolic things that mean as much. So it's huge in terms of meaning, and it's also totally weird, which means this. Nobody's going to do it out of impure motives. Well, I I think rarely you're going to do it out of impure motives, Baptism is not the thing you you do because it's like, wow, it looks really cool. 
or wow, that's going to really make me popular, or wow, you know, there's no kind of mixing of worldly motivation with the spiritual stuff here, which happens in so many other things. You know, we're going to do a great thing in going to Uganda in February, but it's kind of like the cool thing in our culture right now to, to go over to Africa. And so it's hard because we have to sort out our motives. You know, am I going because, like, it's really cool and I want to have that experience? Or are we going because we want to give and we want to serve? And, you know, it's, it's, it's messy. We have to sort it out. With baptism, it's just, if you're doing it, you're weird. And it's cool because you're getting set apart unto God. Okay, so that's why I love baptism. The second reason I love baptism is this. Uh, the first reason is just it's, I think people that do it have their, their heart in the right place. Second reason is um, in Second Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, um, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, it's 2 Corinthians 5.17 if you want to go there. But if, if anyone is in Christ, he or she, you, are a new creation. And behold, the old has gone and the new has come. I, don't, I love that verse because in one little verse there, to me, it encapsulates the best news in the universe. That there's hope. There's, there is so much hope that we can be renewed and start over and that God can look at us as his possession and as clean. And to me, that's so crazy cool. Yesterday... I was sitting around, and I, I was frustrated. It was a really difficult day. Uh, and I was sitting there in my chair, and I was just like, I am right now exhibiting none of the fruit of the Spirit. Absolutely zero. I'm the furthest from perfect you can be. I'm exhibiting all the fruit of being a dad with three kids under the age of six with an attack poodle named Peaches. Uh, that's the fruit in my life. Um, but see... The gospel tells us that I'm not being judged on how clean I am in and of myself. I'm not being analyzed and scrutinized and judged by my own goodness. The good news is, is that when I am God's and I am in Christ, that I am established. That, that I do belong. That I am regarded as special. That, that things my own little mistakes and foibles and imperfections aren't the big deal anymore because it's not who I am, it's whose I am. And by, by, by my relationship in virtue of Jesus Christ and that connection, I'm established. God looks at me and he sees a saint. <laughs> and my wife looks at me and, you know, she doesn't, you know, all the time. Um, and so... That magnitude is unbelievable. And so this morning, as you're sitting there, um, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And the whole idea is that somehow symbolically, everything that belongs to God, everything, had some kind of symbolic, ceremonial, public thing happened to it so that we all know, you know what? This person is set aside for God's purposes. They're no longer following their own ways. They're looking to Jesus and saying, lead me. I'll follow you. 
I belong to you. I'm not, it's not about my pride or my ego or my own stuff anymore. And so that's why what we do today is cool. It's one, because it's weird. No one's going to do it just because it's like, wow, that's so cool. And the second reason is because I don't think there's anything more special than, than marking visually marking, symbolically marking that new life that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Now, don't let baptism become too cool um, because I don't want anyone like, you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, But let's go ahead and pray. And then I got one more thing to say after we're done praying, but let's go ahead and pray and just, again, commit this day to God. Father, I just would hope that you would clear up our thinking, that you would help us to see how important it is that we are following you, that we are submitting to you, that we are really your servants, uh, that we don't play king in our own life. And I think if we're going to know the joy that we all hunger for, it's going to be through submission. It's going to be through humility and, and through that relationship that we can have with your son, Jesus. So I pray for the hearts. I pray for the people. I pray for all of us as a community of believers, as a community of people who are seeking to know more, as people who are asking questions and searching, that the promise really would be made good that if we ask, we will get answers, and if we knock, the door will be open, and if we look, we will find. And so we just claim that this morning, that we are striving to, to kind of take hold of these mysteries and, and follow you. And so again, we just thank you for today, for what's going to happen, and just uh, pray that it would glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, the last thing is just this. Uh, there's a story in the book of Acts where, where uh, uh, Philip is, gets in with this Ethiopian eunuch in a chariot and starts explaining out of the Old Testament this gospel story. And talks to him about baptism and what's going on uh, now that Jesus has come. And this Ethiopian guy says, hey, there's water right over there. What's, uh, what's to keep me from being baptized? And Philip's like, nothing. And so they stop the chariot. They get out of the chariot. They go over and they, they get baptized. And there's something in there that we see over and over in the New Testament that those that are really excited when God is stirring in their heart, there's a sense of urgency to get baptized. There's a sense of urgency that says, you know what? I, I want to go through whatever this ritual symbolic thing is because I want to be God's. And I don't want to wait. I'm feeling compelled that way. And so here's just the, the thing is we're going to walk to the beachhead over there on the Deschutes um, after this service. We're going to do it as a community, as people are going to get baptized. But if God is stirring you this morning, uh, it doesn't matter if you have a swimsuit with you or not. Um, if you feel like, you know what, I need to jump in and I need to be a part of that baptism service, then I would just say, hey, come and find me afterwards and, and we would love to have you be a part of that. And if that's what God is doing in your life right now, then absolutely come talk to me and we would love to see you be a part of that baptism today. Uh, having said that, we're going to invite Terry and Nancy back up for an extended time of worship uh, and we're going to take the offering at this time uh, as they come up and start to play for us. So if you've got those connection cards or anything else, um, please put those in the offering basket when it comes around. So thanks.